to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be looking at um, Luke chapter 14, if you want to turn there. Uh, if you have a device, phone, but also if you have a, a uh, regular paper Bible, that's fine also. I think that still works. And then also we'll have all the uh, scriptures on the screen. So um, that'll be provided. And we're going to look through um, the context and setting here. So usually we've been covering about one parable at a time. Um, as we've learned, there are sometimes when Jesus groups some together purposely. I believe all three of these are grouped together purposely from Luke's understanding and the way that Luke writes things. Um, if you turn to the very beginning of, of Luke, so sometimes it helps us to understand uh, different passages and sometimes even some different meanings that can be kind of weird or obscure. Um, if we turn to the beginning of those books and we understand, you remember when you read a weird sentence in the Bible or a weird section, consider the context, maybe the, the, the several paragraphs around that, and then maybe going back to the start of that chapter that they launched into a whole new idea. And then sometimes it's two or three chapters or six chapters on this one main idea that they've been working out for several chapters. Luke tells us, and in, in Luke, remember Luke's the writer of the book of Acts also, but Luke tells us, um, in the very first sentence of the, the whole gospel narrative, he says, um, he, he's writing this to Theophilus. Now, some, some believe that Theophilus was kind of a power, power player, um, that, that Theophilus was probably a, a rich guy and had some influence. And so notice, notice Luke's intentions when he, he, he goes into a lot of these stories. He starts telling about the setting, the crowd, the cast of characters that were around. But if you go back to Luke, verse one, chapter one, he says, hey, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and to the ministries of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So he, he's actually said, hey, Theophilus. And some people believe, scholars believe that this guy was not far into his faith. And so the whole book of Luke, the rest of the, the whole book is, is kind of this mindset of Luke going, hey, I, I want to reach people that are far, far, far from God, that they have never heard about this beautiful grace of God. I also want to reach people that are kind of in the middle like Theophilus. And hey, this parable we're reading today, it addresses that. This is a, a ruler of the, the Pharisees, but then also the religious elite. So, so the gospel is good for all of those people. And so they believe that Theophilus was kind of in that setting and particularly what we're gonna be um, reading in chapter 14 today. But um, we're gonna leave the context there. Um, and what's beautiful about these parables, it's, it's Jesus entering into people's houses. Many scholars have talked about, particularly in Luke, different times. You guys have probably noticed that um, in Luke, some guys have said, man, it seems like in the, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is either on his way to someone's house for a meal and a dinner. He's either at someone's house eating when all these things go, or he's just leaving someone's house. And so and they say, man, this idea of Jesus being among people of all different um, socioeconomic, but also all levels of morality. You've got people of the, the religious elite, and you've got a prostitute at his feet. You've got people that are, that are the, the highest, richest ones that had the feast for him. And, and, and why were they doing that, probably? Because he's popular. He's entertaining. And, and if he's popular and entertaining, who wouldn't want to have this guy there? And, and I grow in social status by having this newly entertaining Jesus guy at my house. And guess who comes? People that, that, that would not be hanging out in those crowds. And so Jesus treats all of them the same. He treats all of them with this grace and kindness. And so the book of Luke, um, the, the, the gospel of Luke clearly shows that. But I love it because he's engaging with lost mankind. Those who were who thought they were heaven bound, the religious elite, that he's probably trying to say, you, you probably need to check your heart 
Many, many times in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels also, he's saying, he starts it out by saying, here's what the crowd looked like. And based on what the crowd was saying to him, based on the way that they were treating people, Jesus launched into this parable, which was confronting their hard attitude. And so we'll see that today in this one as well. Um, what we see about this is Jesus is willing to put himself in, in places that sometimes our Christian culture today is not willing to put themselves. Now, I don't mean you know, taking your family of a three-year-old and a six-year-old and a nine-year-old to you know, a send-in that's like filled with people that are super, super dangerous for your children or for, for a whole bunch of men to go, hey, let's go to one of those places that are really bad and let's, let's have a ministry to these women that are doing things that we know we should. I'm not saying going and doing those things, but, but man, uh, some of our friends in Louisville, um, some of those places where women dance and that's the only way that they can make some money, there's some women who have said, what if we started reaching out to them? And guess what? It, it's not a one Saturday. It's not a one hour, let me take you and get coffee. It, it's many days and months of hearing their story. Because some of the most broken people, as I, I, I kind of wander around 61st in Peoria, and hey, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I'm not like a gladiator. Uh, there's a couple of stores I still stay away from, like I'm still kind of scared. I, I'm not necessarily scared. I just don't want Jamie and the boys to get word that, hey, Sankey went into this one place and like he got beat down or something. And so he's laying outside. But so around this area here, um, I'll go and talk to people. And, and, and what's interesting is I could come in and look at this 61st in Peoria area and, and, and assume that I know what the problem is. It's like missionaries landing in an area. I assume we know because we're coming from the West and we're smart and we've been trained theologically. And we know, first of all, that they need the gospel, right? They need the salvation, but we assume that we know what they need. And so many times I go in and I've, I've tried to learn from those missionaries that, that I don't know what they really need. Now I know that they need the gospel, but I don't know their story. And so many times I've talked to some different people right, right here on Peoria and, and, and in these areas, uh, mental health. So we have a guy that that's, stands out the corner and he, he's, he's popular. Um, he, he, everyone knows this guy. Um, he, he's got big blankets on him, whether it's, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, hey man, it's 104, get the blanket off, you know. But he's got this big blanket. He's talking to himself. He's walking around traffic and stuff. And so Jackson, Jackson always wants to stop and give in. Sometimes we're running late to practice. And, and here's my son wanting to show compassion. And I'm like, no, we have to make this 11-year-old practice. That's the priority. And Jackson's like, dad, he looks really hungry. I'm like, well, he's always hungry, you know? And so here's my son wanting to show compassion. And so um, I've tried to talk to the guy before. It, 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 there's clearly some mental illness. So I could assume, oh, God just made bad choices, bad choices, bad choices. No, sometimes we need to learn their story. There's a reason that women do these certain things. And if you begin to hear their story, the statistics show like 90-something percent. Here's what happened to her at six years old and nine years old and 11 and 13. Repeatedly, weekly, every single week of her life by certain men in her life. And so then you end up doing this over here. And it's easy for the church to go like, oh, horrible choices, kind of scummy person. Maybe if we learn their story. And so, so our friend out here um, looks a little dangerous, looks a little off the cliff. Man, there's mental illness incredibly um, immersed in this area. So, so just, man, man, depression, anxiety, fear. What's it like when, you, when already you were struggling to have a paycheck or you're struggling to have enough to pay your rent, even when the rent's $50 a month, which is a lot of these over here, it, and now a pandemic hits. So, and you see people misinformed about stuff. Uh, so so the, all the different voices telling them, uh, here, here's what's going on. And so thinking through, Jesus always going to people and always wanting to get the message of salvation, but doing it in a way, not just the message of salvation, not the content, because everyone around here, anyone you ask, they can tell you, yeah, I know the story. Jesus died on the cross for sins. I get it. I've heard it. But the way he treated people, are we doing that? Are we treating people and opening our lives to that? Because it, 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 it's a complicated, complex, difficult sacrificial thing of time for me to stand and talk with a shop owner over here and, and to find out. And so what I'll ask sometimes is like, hey, tell me what you think's broken in this area. Instead of me telling them, here's what's broken. Because a lot of times we can come in and go, oh, people don't want to work. People don't want this. People don't, no, maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe, maybe there's some other things that are broken. That maybe some things have happened to them that play into that also. And so it, it, it's a complex deal. And so, but to think through it and maybe be a listener 
and be patient like God is with us and, and sees our story. And so Jesus is always doing this in uncomfortable, awkward situations. And, and I know Christian crowd, a lot, a lot of my college students who say this, even a soldier, I know people say, man, it seems like you're always kind of lambasting, lambasting the, the, the Christians. Well, that's what the gospels do. God knew that who's going to be reading this book, the red letters, the church, the people that are not coming to church, they're not reading that. It's the church. And God was going, I need the church people to be aware. So it's not Sankey trying to do that. It's, it's replete through the gospels of him going, my church needs to act this way. Realize this stuff about yourself. So that's why I, I love it. And hey, I, I'm more religious than any of you. I, I've got the degree from Southern Seminary. And so I, I could be, I know all these doctrines. So I could be so far removed in academic and systematic theology. I love those things. And I've got to watch myself to not separate from cray cray down here. And so um, we, we don't do that as making fun of him, but like that, that's just the name. And we go, hey man, uh, there's the Lecrae song where they call him cray cray. And so he kind of looks like Lecrae. And so, man, he needs compassion. What if there's actually a Bible verse that says, I place some people around you. You think God could be this great? That he placed people around us as vessels just to see how we would treat, just to see if we would actually take the time to show compassion. What if we get to heaven and go, wow, I didn't know that there's these people placed around that were vessels that you were just, just to see what our hearts would respond to. And so beautiful things there. Verses. When Jesus does these things, he doesn't stand on an island just casting condemnation. And man, in, in a country as politically divided, as polarized as we are on every kind of stance, every kind of issue, every kind of political, socioeconomic, everything, it's easy to stand on an island. And you know, you know what? If you were right, like us, clean yourself up and come, then get in line with us. That's what happens sometimes. And I'm not saying all the church is like that. Um, in fact, Sojourn, I will say our people, we have, uh, I've seen our people show um, incredible grace and mercy to people that are the, the, the wildest characters out there, some of the roughest, some of the most extreme um, different lifestyles or alternative lifestyles. And, and, and our, you people have opened your home repeatedly, not, not for a one-time thing, but to love them, to like, we're just gonna have them over for dinner repeatedly. Oh, we're going to buy their kids some shoes. We're going to open our life to them. Not, not a one-time deal. And so I, I'm, I'm amazed at y'all's graciousness, your um, love and tender mercy towards people, and not just, just to try to get them saved either. It, it was like, no, because we believe we should love people. And so that's the DNA that we have to keep going forward in a culture that is so divided right now. So just be careful of those voices. Let's, let's, let's keep that DNA going. Jesus doesn't stand on an island. He doesn't write letters or articles pointing out specific sin groups and then attacking and hating them. Why are they doing that? They're lost. Of course they act that way. I expect lost people to act lost. I don't expect them to live out the things that I say are important to me. But I do think I'm still, still supposed to love them and engage with them and not as a project, but because they have value. They have worth just as much as me. And so that's what we've got to keep that DNA going. Uh, he doesn't make ties with political government leaders for the old, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. And man, I'm, I've got some stuff on the work that after we get through January, just, just, just it's happening in America. There is a false gospel that is rising and it feels good, it sounds good. And it is a clear Colossians, Galatians, false gospel. And we are lining up in the groves to support this false gospel. And it, it shocks me that Christians aren't so, so clear about this. And so um, we'll talk more about that in coming months. I know that this Christian culture doesn't think that we do some of these things, but we do. And it's why God said, hey, when you get to the New Testament and Jesus hits the scene, story after story after story after story after story. You need to be thinking through what the context, what was going on in that room, what was happening. And all of us like to think, well, we're the Jesus person. Obviously, I wouldn't be those or those or those people in the room. No, God wants us to see that every one of us is not Jesus in the story that there's a message to each one of us in that. So um, here's, here's, the, here's the, the, the kind of the, one of the main points that I would say. You'll never reach someone with the gospel if you actually hate them and isolate from them. 
if you set your goal as being far removed as possible from them and their type. So if we want to label a category of people and then separate and isolate from them and then even start writing stuff, blogging, podcasting, all this uh, about that group, showing our hate towards them, that's the furthest thing from what Jesus did. The, the, the Bible is clear about that. And somehow we've, we've got this idea that that's what our, our, our new momentum is. That, that's what's gonna work. If that would have been the case, Jesus, it would have been story after story after story after story after story of Jesus finding little culturally sinful areas and going in and blasting those people. You pitiful people. You were rejected by God. You repent right now and you must do these things. And that's not what we see him doing. And yet if we're not careful, our, our versions or where you grew up or the church you come from, that, that's, that's kind of the way we view Christianity. And, and so I just, I, I'm just submitting that that's not what Jesus was doing. I said, if you actually hate them, and this is key because not one of us, Jesus-loving, uh, grace-appreciating, mercy-appreciating, you know, salvation is my greatest gift, not one of us Christians would ever admit that, that that's where our heart is, right? And that's why all these gospels are going, beware of blind spots, beware of blind spots, your, your immediate attitudes. I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't want to, I thought it'd be too confronting. I could just put some clips up, and Tuesday was voting day. Everywhere, you know, every, every, every news thing had the, here, here's this people with their signs on this side of the street. Here's these people with these. And I, I could have put some up of one side and, and you would have been immediate, just you'd have felt it. And you're like, they drive me crazy. They're so wrong. That's so pitiful. I'm so, you see, feel that, feel that. And, and we, we, we like to go, no, I'm right. I'm right. I know I'm right on this. And so we, we've, Jesus is going, hey, be aware of your heart on this. Every scenario he went into, he is God, holiness, incarnate. And in every single place he went into, it was one of those streets with those people's signs, whether it was for your own lusts, for your own corporate greed, for your own um, jealousies and your envy, whether it was your, uh, your own destructive lifestyles. Well, so any of those things, your gossip, your, every single place he went, and he, went, he could have been blasting all of those. And instead, what did he do? He, he, he ushered in grace and mercy. And so just I want you to think through that. Um, if you have, if you hate their stances, if you hate their views, if you hate their lifestyle, if you hate everything that they represent, again, I could have put up a couple of slides and you'd probably been like, yep, that's him. Yep, second slide. Yep, I, I do. I hate everything they represent. I hate everything they represent. Just be honest. We don't care that they're separated from God. Because he sees that about our heart. We don't like to look at that. And so now, and again, you may be going like, no, saying I'm not like that at all. And you may not be. Maybe you're, real, you're a very gracious person, all those things. I'm not saying you need to swim. So I, I get labeled as this a lot because I, I do. I, I want to deconstruct some of this legalism that's in our hearts, some of this blind spots that's in our hearts. I'm never saying and not saying, you, you have to switch to their stance. You have to switch to um, their political views. You have to switch to their uh, political stances. You need to switch to um, their lifestyle thing. Never saying that. We, we hold to truth and obedience to the gospel, but we have to understand that they're, they're not seeing things that way. And we're going to see that today, that, th that there's this blindness. I'm never saying that. But maybe an idea and a posture of listening instead of hating without even realizing that we're hating and that we don't even care. And I just think Jesus entered into every single place with a type of grace and mercy. And I know that's hard to draw those lines. Well, how can we do that? How, and I believe that there's a way that the church has been able to do that. Again, I think that sojourn has been strong. Your lives have been an evidence of that. And so we have to keep on. In a, in a time where the voices are getting stronger and, and everything is so outraged, man, we, we've got to be the people of peace. We don't want to wake up, you know, you know, several months later and realize that we were on the side of something, casting stones, that we got swayed by what we're listening to or what news outlet that we're listening to. Every gospel narrator goes out of their way to paint the picture for us of how complex and diverse and incredibly awkward each of these settings is. And Jesus spends time and hangs out and doesn't separate or isolate from all these different types. So let me ask you, who do you feel like that you have the right to despise? Who do you feel like you have the right to despise them? Who do you feel like you have the right to hate? 
because of what they stand for, what they support. I just think that the church isn't asking those questions. In Luke 14, 1 through 6, let's go to the first part. This is the setting. Think through those questions. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So this ruler, wasn't just a Pharisee, the ruler, the highest up guy of this religious elite. Jesus, would you come over for dinner? Jesus, you bet I'd love to. I'd love to. I know what goes on there. Really good looking things. So they were, they were watching, and notice this. He's at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. You ever been in a scenario or a church or a place where it feels like people, everyone's watching you carefully? There's an environment created where if you don't toe the line and you don't do things exactly like the other 10 families or you don't things exa- exactly like this or that, if you, if you do anything different, <clears throat> that everyone's watching. Everyone's um, just scrupulously, meticulously watching. And Jesus knew, I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that. He goes in and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So a couple of things. House of the Pharisees. Pharisees knew very clearly what was considered unclean, ceremonially unclean. You couldn't be within several hundred yards of them, right? No one that was ceremonially unclean. Ruler of the Pharisees and a guy with dropsies there. So everyone kind of believes that this was a setup. They had brought the guy with dropsy. This wasn't the case of a guy with dropsy hears about this scenario and then goes, hey, I think I'm going to stick, my health, stick myself in this, in this ruler of the Pharisee's house. So lawyers and Pharisees go, here he is. What are you going to do? It's a Sabbath. And Jesus, reading their mind, knows what's going on. It's a setup. Guy with dropsy who's ceremonially unclean in, in, in the highest of the Pharisee's house, it would, it would make the whole house ceremonially unclean. And Jesus responded to the lawyers, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? I guess this is a common thing. We don't have this as much in Oklahoma where your son or an ox falls into a well, but I guess it was so common that they they knew about this. I'm joking. Uh, And they could not reply to these things. But what his point is, is is to do good and to show mercy and kindness and help someone on the Sabbath, are are you saying that that's evil? Then you you misunderstand God's goodness. And so they had all these rules. And so just so you'll know, on on a Sabbath day, even to this day, so 2022, um, for a Jew to get up in the morning and set their coffee pot and then pour water into your carafe, that's work on the Sabbath. That's work. And you've broken the Sabbath law. If you, you have to start this by doing the heat plate the night before. So you start a heat plate the night before. You pour the water into the craft. Then you get up the next morning, and as, as the water is heated and stuff, it is not sin, and it's not breaking the workload if you pour it out into your cup then. Isn't he a gracious God? Like, is that not an amazing God that's so loving? Wow. That's a good one. That's, that's good. So that, that's literally what's going on here. So that preparing food, you couldn't do that. That's work on the Sabbath. So all this stuff set out. They're in this scenario. And then Jesus goes into this, this story, the this story of this um, Sabbath. And, and so we're not going to take time to go into the, that one. We're going to go to the two parables. But I want you to notice this. This was a setup. And then Jesus, out of this setup, recognizing the crowds that are in the scenario— Jesus goes, launches in to this parable, these two parables. It's actually three. The, the, the last one's a little bit longer and the, the deeper meaning on it. It takes a little bit more time to bring out. So I'm going to go into these two parables. But that's just the setup um, is the environment. Um, and in these next scenarios, he, Jesus just heals this guy with dropsy. Now, that reminds them, and what the stories that Jesus brings up immediately in this context brings up the, this picture of the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. So in this setup section, we're reminded uh, of the lame, those who are unable to go to God on their own ability. Now you may go, yeah, yeah, we don't have a lot of that in our house. Spiritually speaking, we are the lame, unable to go to God. Do you see what he's wanting to get across there? 
Do you see yourself as unable to come to God on your own ability? I'm crippled. Now, I know that you know that's a, a politically incorrect word, but so disabled. If you have to go, but, but the Bible uses some some words that sometimes it is just that that's the way they put it. So crippled, disabled. Those who are powerless to do anything for themselves to change. Do we realize that we are powerless to do anything on our, our own self to change? And again, if we're not careful, we create churches or systems of make your life right, make your life look good, make it look a certain way, and then God will approve of you. And Jesus was tearing that apart. This whole scenario is showing that's not the situation. You are powerless to, to, to overcome your own sin. Um, to change your own state before God. The poor, those who are bankrupt and empty. Do we realize that we are the poor, the spiritually bankrupt and empty before God? Nothing to change that state. And then the blind, those who are unable to see. We are spiritually blind, though oftentimes we think that we see so well. So I, I wonder what we would consider the obviously poor today. And so now do this switch in your head. Not the people who look poor from their circumstances or their, their, their clothing or where they live or what they drive. Not, not people who are, um, they, they, they look that way, but do we see people as spiritually poor? And then add, add that into your thinking on, on our polarization. Are you looking at people as spiritually poor and bankrupt or are you looking at them as, look what a mess. That's the problem with society. I work all, I work so hard and I give my taxes and all this stuff and they just get, there's voices. I'm warning you. That's a different gospel. I'm warning you. That's not the pure gospel. The pure gospel is saying, are you showing compassion on them? Not, yeah, yeah. Get rid of that. I'm telling you, that's a different gospel. I wonder who we would consider lame and crippled today. Not just physically lame and crippled, but do we see people unable to go to God because they don't have the understanding. They don't have the knowledge of God. So in missions, in church planting, getting the gospel to people who don't have that understanding. I wonder if we could have a different idea on who's blind today. Not the physically blind, but do we remember that? Do, we, do you remember what it's like to be blind I remember early days of sojourn, and one of my friends actually from Salisaw, he come, he'd been come for you know, several months, and it was just this heart-stopping moment when he, he, he didn't even share a whole lot about what was going on in his life, and we were sitting there, and we're, we're having a good discussion, and everyone's, everyone's treated him phenomenally, and he goes, and he just raised his head up and just tears in his eyes says, yeah, I think sometimes some of y'all forget what it's like to be lost. I mean, that was a great message for us to hear. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be lost. Um, do we remember what it's like to be a grown adult making decisions, being passionate towards causes, uh, making lifestyle choices as a blind person? And so if you grew up in the church, and by God's grace, you come to faith in the Lord as, as, a, as a child, you maybe even didn't get to adulthood, you're 18 to 20, 25, making decisions separated from God. Passionate causes that you're supportive of. It would be very hard to imagine what that's like as a grown adult if, you, if you've never experienced that. I love how God uses these authors to write in these different types of people. So let's go into that little parable, the wedding feast. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited. Notice the first thing is to those who were invited. So all these guests of this, this Pharisee, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, that's why he told the parable. The people that were coming, that were invited, there's favoritism. There's partiality going, hey, hey, Mr. Banker, Mr. Lawyer, come, come up to the front. Hey, you, get, get, get away. Don't go to the food yet. I know, I know you look starving. Get, get, get back. Get back in line. Here, here, up this way, Mr. President. Up this way, Mr. Banker. Up this way, Mr. Pharisee. So they showed favoritism and partiality. So Jesus observed this. Do you think the other people didn't realize this and recognize this? It, it was thick in the room. So he told this parable because of how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited to someone, by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you 
both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. So literally like the, 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 the guy who's having the wedding feast would come and say, I, I'm sorry, you're, you're sitting up here at the front. You need to move back to the back. We've got someone that's a little more distinguished, a little more honored to come and sit at the front. And now you're going in shame, like embarrassed, like, oh, I shouldn't be there. You've probably experienced this. Have you ever gone on the airplane? And you know, it's, it's already frustrating. It's so frustrating because hurry, 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 wait. Hurry, 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 wait. So I, I don't, and as I get older, um, I don't travel as well. And so, and then after you've done all this stuff, and, and I, it just ticks me off the, the, the first class people because I could never be there. And they look so comfortable. And they, you know, those movies do a really good job of showing it. I really just want to be like, why don't I make enough money to be here? Like just one time because it looks so comfortable. And I look, and here's like, we got four people packed in to the space that two of these people are. And so then you're walking down through there, and then you've got the, the, the guy who's like bigger than me even and he's like sitting in the wrong seat and, and it's Jamie she's probably not going to like confront that like it's real hard on her to have to like say like, I, I'm sorry you're, I, I think you're in my seat and so you're checking your, your ticket last minute like 16C what's this idiot doing that's my seat why and so you have this thing of like hey and it's that embarrassing thing everyone gets to watch and so they have to get up and it takes you know, four minutes and now everyone backs up and they have to move and go find their seat just because you wanted that and so the same thing in this scenario, like it, it, it's shameful and embarrassing for someone to have to say, hey, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong seat. You, you, didn't, you don't deserve sitting up here. You need to move to your other seat. I don't know why you were there. And so Jesus brings that out. And he's not trying to teach us to be prideful in where we sit. He's trying to get us to understand humility. He says, the kicker verse is this, um, verse 10 and 11. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. So a lot of people take it like, oh, so if we do that and kind of do a, a false humility, then he would say, step up. You're actually greater than that. And, oh, there we go. I, I got recognized. That's not the point. Verse 11 is the point. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. So, so the point of that, that, that parable is, are you walking in a constant posture of humility? a constant posture uh, of thinking of yourself lower than others. And that changes everything. I've told you guys about when we were in Tahlequah and I was a pastor at a church, um, but also uh, we didn't make very much money. So uh, an hour a day, I was a janitor out at um, a uh, post office out in the country, one of those little rock, kind of rough looking post offices way out in the country. And so um, uh, it started out a college student who was leaving town that day said, Sankey, I forgot. I still need to go and do my little job. It's like 45 minutes. You just sweep and do the trash and, and mop and stuff and pick up all their trash. And so I started doing that for like three or four days. And I think it made like 380 per month. So it was like an hour a day, but it was like, you know, it was, it was helpful. And so I ended up doing it for seven years. I thought it was going to be like, you know, a month it ended up being seven years. And so uh, in doing that, I think Matt and some of the others probably even had to substitute for me. Sometimes I'll be like, Hey, I can't make it out there today. Can you go out there? One of our elders of the church was the postmaster. So it's great, good time out there hanging out. And so, um, I, there was a lot of churchy people. because so there were some churches right near there and there are these ladies and they would have the tag of their, you know, you know like, uh, First Baptist, whatever, begs for, not begs, but uh, whatever was this, the, the local area. And the, these church, and they would walk in and, and they would look at me when I, I'm doing the trash and um, I'm, I'm sweeping and mopping. And they, I mean, months and months and months. And I saw their car tag and I saw, and they would go in and talk to Bill about churchy stuff and all this religious. And then um, uh, after months and months, and they never, I mean, they, they kind of grabbed their purse a little tighter, kind of, you know, walked away from me. And, uh, then one day, Bill, months and months after this, Bill, our elder, is like, hey, Mrs. Johnson, have you ever met Sankey? And she literally kind of just looked at me like the trash guy. You know, and, and then he's like, he's one of our pastors on staff, and you should have seen the change. Like, well, bless the Lord. I was like, hold, hold, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, like, you've been almost like, you know, giving me the finger. You've been like, you, you grab your purse when I come close. You do, like, and now all of a sudden, like, bless the Lord. She's quoting Psalms to me and stuff. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And so that, that's what, now, I know we're not that bad, that exaggerated. And she, I'm sure she's a sweet lady. But um, uh, if we're not careful, that's what Jesus is bringing out, like humility, do we, do we look at ourselves as uppity because we're good churchy people or are, is it humble of heart? And so he's saying that to that crowd and he's wanting the, the people that are far off from God, that, have, that know they're in the middle of sin, that they're separated from God. He's going, I've got mercy for you. But also those who think that you're super, super spiritual, you need me every day. You need humility. You, you need to still cling to me. 
It's not about you getting your life together and then being prideful about that. So that's that first parable there. Just, just grace that he issues. And notice he's doing it to people who think that they're really, really good. And man, inside the church, if we're not careful, I've, I've hit on this before, we really do like looking at ourselves as very good. And sometimes we're measuring and measuring and measuring to make sure that we're really good and a little bit better than those people, even inside the church, and a little bit better than them. And, and we create church cultures and churches who if you don't, you know, if you don't, if it doesn't look like this and the dad do this and the mom do this and the children look like this and you, you don't watch these things and you don't participate in this, and you do, and Jesus is going, there's freedom in those things. Not to jump off into sin, but there's freedom in those things. It's not about those, those tight lists and, you make, and measuring and making sure on your meticulous lists. You've missed it there. And again, I'm thankful because um, that's written about all over the church, but you guys have been a, a good example. But what you see here is there's this sense of self-importance. There's this sense of spiritual pride. There's a sense of an extremely, extremely high opinion of oneself. And Jesus uses the story to remind us that it's natural embarrassment and shame that comes when we do think more highly of ourselves and we're blinded by our high opinion of ourselves, thinking that we're better or more holy or whatever, even though we would never, never state it that way. The Bible often teaches pride goes before the self-exalting entitlement. So Jesus goes into that one. So that was probably awkward as all get out because the people in there, as he tells the story, there's all the four or five categories of people. And they're probably like, yeah, we've been noticing this for a long time. Every time we come here, there's the, 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 the elites that sit at the front. He moves these people. It's pro it probably had happened. Maybe it had happened right there. And that's why Jesus was saying it, because he says that he noticed how that they were treating people, and they were, they were letting some with favoritism move forward. So that's why he told the parable. And it was going on. It'd be like me saying, like, hey, and some of you people are, are so clownish that you're wearing long sleeves and, 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 and warm stuff. You'd be like, I think that's me. You know, like, I think he's talking about us here. And so it'd be, like, obvious, like, oh, that's us. So the next one he goes to, again, I, I, all these fit together. The last one's a, a, a bigger one. The great banquet. So he said also to the man who had invited him. So now he had talked to the whole crowd. He said he talked to those who were invited. Now he turns to the man who had invited him. When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. You guys ever have people over for dinner? Who do you invite? We kind of go with this list, don't we? Like, you know, and maybe not the, the, the richest person you know or something, but friends? What's wrong with that? Brothers? Your relatives? That's what we do. So Jesus is, let me, let me clarify something. Jesus is speaking in parabolic language. Parab uh, parabolic meaning he, he, he's making a point with an extreme language source. So it's not sin if you have uh, you know, Sunday dinner and you invite your brother and sister over or you have your family members come over or relatives. He's not making a, a, a black and white command list on your guest list, okay? He, he's using parabolic language to show you something about the heart that we tend to do using an extreme situation where you go, oh, we do tend to do that. He's going, I want you to notice your heart. So what does he say to do instead? But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Remember, we talked about these four categories before. So let's go back to our setting. Who are the people across the street from you holding the signs that you hate, who represent everything that repulses you? Bring them. Bring them. Spiritually blind. Spiritually blame. Of course they don't live like you. They can't. They don't have a change of heart. Of course they don't agree with your stance. They, they, they see humanity exalted instead of God exalted. Of course. But if we're not careful, no, I'll, I'll do this and I'll have them over there and I'm growing hate and frustration and anger towards them and Jesus is going, hey, I'll be on this side also. I'll be on this side also. And that would tick us off in our current evangelical socioeconomic climate. What's he doing over there? Just like they commented on Jesus. And just go, hey, now I'll come to your party also, but I want to talk to you about some different things. So just like in the parable, I'm doing a funeral tomorrow for a close friend. Their mom passed away. 
I always, I, I tend to use the, the parable of the, the prodigal God because I know there's people in the crowd that those are far off from God because of, they, just, they're, they're, they want to be far off from God. They're choosing, and, and, God, and Jesus is going, hey, I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm coming and giving my life for you. I don't care what the religious crowd says. I don't care what evangelicalism says. I don't care what uh, you know, conservative or liberal economics or politics say. I, I'm coming for you. I died for you. And he's coming to us religious people, uh, people like me with a seminary degree who know all the Greek and know all the Hebrew, and I don't know the Hebrew at all, but know all the Greek and all these things. And he goes, hey, thank you, you still need me. You needed me, you needed me day one at salvation, and you definitely need me every single day of sanctification. So both of those crowds, and that's why he's getting these stories, trying to show us there's not anyone who's beyond the gospel that's beyond this, this type of grace. When you, invite, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So when you look at that, are we a people who are growing more towards this, this, this middle place of, man, I'm going to have a couple from Sojourn Over. I'm going to have a couple from my neighborhood that, man, I, I mean, they, they're having some crazy, crazy uh, wild parties and everything, and, and I'm not looking down on them, and we're not going to get together and just despise them, but I'm going to have them. Got a coworker. He ticks me off. We, 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 vote, voting Tuesday come up, and oh my gosh, for two weeks, he was putting stuff on social media. Just don't look. I, I, I survive without any social media, and I do fine. It, it raises your blood pressure. You'll, you'll be fine without it. And so, hey, he, he ticks me off. The first conversation he has, he starts, well, I can't wait till Tuesday because we're going to, and you're just like, I want to just flatten his tires. That guy, spiritually blind, spiritually lame, spiritually poor and bankrupt. Be loving to him. Find out, just take some months of finding out where he, why he landed on those stances. Instead of, you know, you're sitting, you know, two cubicles away from the guy and you are just going back and forth on Facebook, you know, like thinking that I'm going to say these things and all my Christian friends are going to think this. And he's like, oh my gosh, everyone hates all those Christians. I'm going to say this thing over there. That, that, that's not really working real well, if you've noticed. And the church isolating away from, from culture or the church deciding that we're going to go and bash and attack culture, neither of those two things is what Jesus did. All the New Testament shows us that. It was holy, single God coming to a fallen, despised, despicable, dirty, dirty place. So if we're not careful, we're afraid of people that are dirty. And let me tell you something. Coming from a background for me that's dirtier than any of those people that were at Jesus' little setting, that's probably dirtier than any of you, you can feel that. You can feel that they don't want me around. You can feel that I'm dirty. So you've got the shame and the guilt of your dirtiness, but then you've got the, this scenario over here where you can never meet up. And sometimes that's what we're communicating. We think that we're communicating grace, but it's, it's really just a list. And you've got to look like this. And so, man, I'm just dirty. So it, it, that's why it ticks me off so much about the people that have this huge problem with the, the reckless love uh, thing. And they, they'll make little jokes about this stuff. It's like, yeah, you haven't been dirty, man. You haven't been dirty enough. Because it is absurd. It is completely reckless and crazy for a God. So the picture of that story of prodigal God in Luke 15, that that story talks about, of, of here's the Father in his holiness and perfection, never changed a bit. And when they went out and did as far, they've ran and done everything pitiful that that family or the, that, that they could be despised for, that when he just barely turns, the Father runs and embraces him with this. That is scandalous and that is seemingly reckless. The only reason it's not reckless is because God is sovereign and knew those scenarios were going to happen. But if you're real dirty, it feels very reckless for God to have it uh, just pouring and pouring and pouring out grace. And you're going, no, no, but I, I, I never would deserve that. He keeps pouring and pouring. It just seems reckless. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. When you get to the place where you don't feel dirty anymore, Jesus becomes small and your righteousness becomes really, really big. So some of us need to remember that, that we're, we're, we're all dirty at the foot of the cross. And even in your five-year, 10-year, 20-year seminary degree, you're still dirty and in need of Jesus. I, I promise you he would be right there with you 
So whether you're really, really, really clean or you're really, really dirty, this Jesus said, I'll, I'll, I'll come and sit down with you. And the point of these parables is the church would say, hey, I'll come and sit down with you. Not concerned about stances on the wall and, and this crowd or that. I'll come and sit down with you because you've, you have value and you have worth. And I'm dirty too. I'm dirty too. And sometimes we, we've separated that. That's my greatest fear about sending our boys to this school. I, I have a very bad, I, I, in the past, I had a very, very bad view on private schools. I, first of all, we all, I just always knew we were never going to be able to afford, you know, uh, one-tenth of one kid to go there. So I was like, that, that won't be a problem. And so then I hear some different circles. And so guess what? My boys, they're dirty. They're part of the dirtiness of this school. And they get their dirtiness from me. And mine is 10 times worse than them. But then I see certain families where I'm like, oh my gosh, they think it's, think it's so good. And it's like the 5%. But then I see some other people who are getting in their lives and speaking truth to them in the middle of a culture that's trying to do all this other stuff and just loving on them and speaking grace repeatedly. We need to remember that we're dirty. And we need to be able to talk to other people and go, hey, I'm your coworker. That's that strong liberal or strong conservative you can't stand. Man, I'm dirty also. Hey, what? We're, we're, I hear you posting a lot. I hear you talking a lot about that. What, what happened there? That's what I'm going into these shops and asking. So what did this happen? How did this happen? We joke about this uh, little, uh, I always go blank on the name, but uh, we call it the little love shack down here, the blue. Uh, I, I call it Mama Nell's love shack, but it's uh, the, the little lounge down here. And we joke about like as we're going to practice, like, oh, so, so, and so, coach. Uh, you have to love, and it's not. It's like, it's like a little bar thing. And so we'll just kind of joke about that. Man, who, who's going to take the time to go, Man, they're not so horrific and bad that we can't engage with them. What if we just go and learn their story? And again, not as a project, but, but because Jesus loves people. So for us, just thinking through that. Um, having people over for dinner is a great application of this. this. This story is a great application of just going, hey, I'm opening my life to you. We've done that well here at Sojourn. And so that we've, we've done that well with people on extreme ends. And so I just want to press to us in the middle of this climate Let's, and, and when I say let's meet in the middle, I don't mean let's compromise and start sinning. That doesn't mean, hey, hey, let's, let's go off and, uh, to reach drug, drug using people, I've got to go and get off into drugs. To reach uh, this, this type of lifestyle people, we've got to start doing these. No, no, not at all. That's never the point. The given is, is obedience, and, and not just obedience for obedience sake, but because you love God and see what he's done for you. And you can talk to people about that. And so when I say meet in the middle, it's not, so don't take and, and apply social or political ideas. Uh, oh, are you, talking, are you talking about being progressive, moderate? No, no, I'm, I'm talking about this gospel of Jesus stands alone in this. This is what's different than, than the, the different gospels that are going to be coming out here in the next you know, two and four. It, it's really growing in evangelicalism, this false gospel that's rising up. And so the pure gospel of Christ is him sitting with us going, man, you're dirty and you need me and you know it. And so I'll just tell you, think through that. So as we go to the Lord's Supper, as we're closing, as Brad comes up, um, each week we participate in the Lord's Supper by looking at our own lives and looking at our hearts. Not, not other people, not the people around us, not what's going on, and knowing that God knows our story. God knows what's happened in our lives. God knows what we've gone through. And in that, um, we want to practice that to say, hey, if you're a believer and you're following Christ, you're, you're trying to walk in obedience and you still have all your sins and you're still dirty in heart, even though your heart has been renewed, you, there's indwelling sin, you can partake of this because of the grace of Christ. Because in unearned favor that he stepped up and that he said, you get my, you get my righteousness. You get to put on my robes of righteousness that, that your sins were forgiven so we partake of this looking at that, not based on how good you did this last week, where you perfectly holy and keep all the rules. No, we're looking at that, gazing at him, staring, going, Jesus, you're so amazing. I'm mesmerizing, captivated by you, what you've done. If it's true what you did for me, I'm doing this as a reminder, symbolically, of your blood spilt for me and your body broken on the cross for me. And if you're going, hey, you know, I've been away from God, we say, hey, don't partake of our Lord's Supper stuff. Sit and take of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we sang that last song, he's a good, good father. And in me as a pastor, many, many weeks, I have to battle for faith because I don't feel like he's a good, good father. 
things that happened to my kids, things that happened to my life, things that happened. Uh, I haven't had a dad in 22 years. I haven't had a mom in however many years. And so in all those things, it's weird to think of this floating, invisible, good, good father. So I have to let truth dictate my feelings. And if you're far and separated from God, to say, hey, I need to partake of you, God. Just, just the first step. You don't have to work out the hundred steps of what all this means, but God, would, would you just forgive me? Would you show me your mercy and your grace? And not partake of the Lord's Supper with us, but partake of him. So as I pray, um, as we get ready for the Lord's Supper and Brad comes up, um, that's how we do it here at uh, Sojourn. And uh, if, you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you're not in running from the church or and you are not in church discipline in some other place, we say partake of us. We have open communion, so you can partake with us um, in this. I'm going to pray. Father, we are amazed at um, your wisdom in setting up these stories that confront us, that confront our hearts. My heart desires comfort and ease and wants to be surrounded by people who are just like me, who think like me, who make me laugh, who can mock and make fun of the things that I disagree with. And Jesus would be calling our hearts to him to say, I, 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 I want to be there with you. I want to join you. And I know what you've done. I know how you feel. And I can take all that away and forgive and bring you a new life. God, we do this Lord's Supper every week as a reminder of that, the new life he promises. And so, Father, um, not based on anything that we've done, whether good or bad, we come to you just amazed by your story of grace, your pictures of grace. These parables are pictures, and this Lord's Supper is a picture for us of Christ on the cross dying in our place. And, and he's the one telling these stories. Way before the cross happened, he's the one telling us, Father, Thank you that you gave us your son. Thank you that your plan was to have him humiliated and shamed and disgraced and slaughtered so that we wouldn't be slaughtered. We thank you for Christ taking on the wrath of God in our place, substituting himself. And we ask for you to apply that to our hearts. Help us to rejoice in that, be renewed in that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. In your name we pray. Amen.